Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This week on the Chicago Bears Review... In part two of our same place opponent preview, Larry D. welcomes Mike Harar from SB Nation's Hogshaven.com to give his take on everything to do with the Washington Redskins. How does Mike feel about the skin shot in 2015, and is it a good one? All of this and more on part two of the same place opponent preview episode of the Chicago Bears Review. Well, we're getting just uh, cranking these bad boys out, aren't we? We've already got done with the NFC West. We talked to Sander Phillips from BucksNation.com about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers a few days ago. And now we're going to close out the same place opponents with Mike Carrar and the Washington Redskins. What's going on, everybody? Larry D. back for part two of the same place opponent preview episodes of the Chicago Bears review as we look forward to the 2015 season and whoever our beloved Chicago Bears will be taking on uh, this year. So um, when it comes down to it, the Redskins will be in town on uh, coming to Soldier Field this year, December 13th, week number 14. So it'll be a, you know, a late time, late in the season that uh, the Redskins will be coming to us. Uh, I had a good talk with, uh, with Mike, uh, a lot of talking about the, um, the Redskins, a lot of history there. Uh, for both of us, actually, uh, I think that you guys will love and hate what his favorite Redskin moment is. Um, you know, just the uh, the history of it, because it's something that uh, a lot of people remember even to this day. And uh, but we Bear fans uh, not so fondly remember such a thing. But um uh, you know, had a great conversation with him, and, and like all of the guests I've had so far, to uh, you know, hope to have him on the show the week of the game that we're playing against them, so that we can get the, the you know their two cents on where their team is, where they feel their team season is headed, uh, and so on, just to add a little something extra to those preview episodes that we do uh, every single week. So, hoping to uh, to have Mike on uh, at that time and uh you know see what the redskins and the bears look like going into week 14 uh and you know as they come into the home stretch the last four games uh of the season will these you know will these teams still have a reason to play other than the fact that they're obligated to for the last four weeks of the season uh or will they be looking forward to 2016 and uh so on and so forth so how how well will john fox and vic fangio and adam gase be doing uh when when these two teams butt heads on december 13th 
and uh, you know how will Jay Gruden and RG three still be getting along, and will Kirk Cousins or or, or Colt McCoy be playing quarterback? Will uh, will that offensive line uh, hold up? Will Brandon Scherf, their top pick, will he be the stud that they drafted him to be, uh, and so on? So lots of questions. Uh, uh, to talk about uh, in that time and we covered a lot uh, covered a lot of interesting stuff uh, asked him what he thought about the the Redskins name controversy uh, and things like that so we, we covered a lot of interesting things talking uh, about the uh, about the Redskins so just want to before we go ahead and dive into the convo wanted to uh, let you guys know what's what's coming uh, for the show uh, we have uh, on our next episode we have Lori Lattimore Volkman from the milehighreport.com uh, on SB Nation uh, the uh, huge Broncos fan uh, was actually able to meet Peyton Manning uh, last year due to a, a blog that she wrote that went viral uh, talking about Peyton Manning and his legacy and, and things like that uh, came out uh, in response to the uh, negative uh, criticism that uh, Peyton was getting after Super Bowl 48 when they lost to the uh, to the Seahawks, especially in the fashion in which they did. Um, you know, she was tired of hearing Peyton uh, get bashed by the by the media and, and such. So she 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 put out her own rebuttal and uh, one thing led to another. And before you know it, she's standing in front of Peyton Manning with her kids uh meeting the man himself uh after after that so it's a it's a crazy world we live in the twists and turns you never know uh what's going to happen it was uh an interesting story uh in there i'd love to hear it so uh we've got her coming up and then following that we have uh, evan western uh from uh, acmepackingcompany.com uh for the green bay packers He's on SB Nation as well. Jeremy Reisner from uh, Pride of Detroit on SB Nation and uh, Chris Gates from the Daily Norseman all set up to talk to them uh, next week to, to, uh, to get, kick off the NFC North shows and uh, kind of wind this uh, opponent preview um, portion of the season for us. Kind of get that winded down as we get ready to uh, start camp and uh, crank out these preseason games and then get those preseason games out of the freaking way so we can get down to the business of the 2015 season. So lots of stuff still yet to come. At minimum, we got like four or five shows left in this preview because we still have, uh, well, we've got four for sure with, uh, with Lori and then our three NFC North shows. We got the Bears show, so that's five. And then finally, we have our... Uh, we have you know those episodes uh, going into the with the preseason as well and our picks that stick show so lots leading up between now and the actual start of the season so uh, yeah looking forward to uh, to getting down to business so all right so that's uh, that's all I have for you right now without further ado we're gonna jump into it with uh, Mike Harar from Hogshaven.com on SB Nation to talk to him about the Washington Redskins. Okay, and here we are with uh, Mike Harar from Hogshaven.com on SB Nation uh, for the Washington Redskins. Mike, how are we doing today? Doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. Ah, no problem. No problem at all. Uh, thanks so much uh, for being on the show. Now, you are a lifelong Redskins fan? 
That is correct. Lifelong suffering Redskins fan. Suffering, yes. Also <laughs> very familiar with that term here on the Chicago side of things. Um, yep. Are you native to the area or? Born and raised. Um, actually, it's funny. My family um, moved uh, to D.C. from Chicago ah. back in the 50s. So we have a lot of family who are Bears fans. But okay. when my family moved out here, we all kind of took on the Redskins. So, yep. So actually, you are somewhat the exception to the rule, actually, as far as the SB Nation writers that I've talked to, I think you're the first one that's actually in the area where his team actually is. That may be the case. It's interesting. Um, of all the writers with Hogshaven, uh, I want to say I'm one of, th- one of three that actually live in the area. So I don't know how that worked out, but that's, that is definitely true. <laughs> right, because I, I was talking to... There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events... You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. Lori Lattimore Volkman from My High Report to the Broncos fan, lives in South Carolina. <laughs> okay. uh, Sander Phillips from Bucks Nation. Uh, Buccaneers fan lives in the Netherlands. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And uh, you know, I uh, Jeremy uh, Reisner from uh, the Pride of Detroit for the Lions lives somewhere on the West Coast. I don't know exactly where, uh, but funny. he's on the West Coast fan of the the Lions. So I am. <laughs> yeah. I am. Uh, I am a Bears fan. Uh, I am in the Midwest, about three hours west of Chicago, but it's actually a Chicago market, so I don't have to go searching for the bears on Sundays when they're, uh, when they're playing, I kind of lucked out when I, yeah. when I made the move out here. Yeah. It's always a plus. What's been, what's been interesting. Um, even though Hogshaven riders are fairly spread out, um, we tend to have a big following in England, which is interesting. I, I don't know how that happened, but we actually uh, have a lot of British fans and, and fans that live in England and London and around that area. So how that worked out, I'll never know, but uh, you know, we'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is, uh, <laughs> A little strange. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of bear fans overseas uh, as well. Uh, you know, I, I find, and I think a lot of that had to do with the the Bears being one of the first teams to play a game overseas. overseas. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think they played an exhibition game against the Vikings, like in '85 or something, '86, something like that. And they were one of the 
the first teams, if not the first, to play an exhibition game out there in, uh, in the U.K., Interesting. Well, it's funny because now the NFL is trying to jam the Jaguars down everyone's throats down there. <laughs> yes. So I don't know how well that's going to go. We'll see. Yeah, that's <laughs> that was an interesting, interesting announcement when that uh, when that came about. So, <laughs> yeah, good luck with all that. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So here, just one real quick. I want to ask you, I um, and my fans on the show have heard me say this before. I am what you would call a a uniform snob. OK. OK. Um, do you hate the yellow pants as much as I do? Uh, no, I don't hate the yellow pants. Um, really? I am I am kind of more of a well, I'm going to say traditionalist, but it's kind of um, it works uh, works the, the, the wrong direction because tradition, pure traditionalist, like the yellow pants because it throws harkens back to the days of the '70s. Right. Um, I, when I say tra- I grew up in the '80s and '90s, and I really mm-hmm. like the white pants and the red jerseys or. Um, the red pants and the white jerseys. Um, I I liked that look, um, but it you know, I, I do think the Redskins have one of the coolest uniforms in the league. Um, I really uh, you know what they're wearing on Sunday doesn't doesn't really impact me too much. Now I will say, there was a season I think when Steve Spurrier was here, and they went with the kind of the just the arrow on the helmet and the really right. darker burgundy those were my favorite i loved those and um i kind of wish they would bring those back but um but either way I, i'm not a huge uh you know uniform guy and i as long as they win i don't care what they're wearing right no i i totally understand that but i'm i've always been you know on the artistic side and uh-huh. you know always with with like logos and uniforms and things like that right like like you, I grew up in the 80s and in the 90s, and basically every game that the Redskins played was the white top with the maroon right. uh, bottom. Right, traditional so, look, I think. Yeah, that was always one of my favorite uniforms in the NFL when okay. they were dressing like that. And then I think it was with with Shanahan that they went to the yellow pants full time and I I honestly I hate the yellow pants. I that was a Bruce Allen move actually. Well, I was, know yeah. was it Bruce Allen? Okay. It was cuz he was thinking about when his dad was the when coach, his dad was young coach. around the team. Right. And it's funny there's a a radio station locally here in DC called ESPN 980 and there's a radio um, one of the hosts of one of the shows um he calls Bruce Allen the uh, the king of picnics and pants. You know, his whole job was to come in and kind of pull in some of the older guys and and hope that hearkening back to the days of the late '70s and maybe early '80s would help change the culture of the team. And uh, it didn't really accomplish that. I mean, you know, he brought some of the older players back into the fold, which I do think is cool. And you don't want to chase those guys away because right. um, there is a lot of tradition in this area with the team. But, um, it, you know, just doing that alone will not create wins. And we've learned that. Right. Now, where do you fall on the whole name thing with the Reds? Like the whole controversy about the Washington Redskins name itself I mean, are are you a staunch traditionalist on it? You know, it's the name, it's their logo. They're, uh, you know, glorifying the, the, the Indian people or where, where do you kind of fall in with that? I mean, to me, growing up around it, I never thought a negative thing about it at all. Right. Um, it always seemed to be like a symbol of strength and courage and bravery and, you know, holding the fort and, you know, and, and I always took pride in it. I really did. I always thought it was a great name and it kind of struck me. Uh, it's something I hadn't even thought about uh, when it kind of came out over the years. Uh, some people were offended by it. I, I can see that. Um, I, I think the intention 
of the name was uh, was to be a good thing, you know. And um, you know, it's funny as the more and more it gets talked about, and it'll come up, and then it'll die down. There are times when it's it's so heightened, and it's just kind of. I, I've actually even gone on record as saying, you know, if we can just stop talking about it, let's change the name. You know, I I wouldn't stop <laughs> rooting for the team if they did change the name. Right. But I am a fan of the name, and I hope they do keep it. Right. Um, but again, if they change it. I'm still buying the jerseys and I'm still going to the games. And um, so we'll see, you know, like I said, it comes in ebbs and flows and right now it's kind of died down. Right. Um, so, you know, it, it, again, almost like the uniforms, I'll still root for them no matter what they're called or what they're wearing. <laughs> and so I'm good either way. <laughs> right. All right. So one more before we get into the team, um, as a lifelong fan, I'm sure you have plenty of moments and growing up in the, 80s and 90s you had some Super Bowl trips and some victories um what would fall in as your number one Redskins moment oh gosh well you know it's funny because the the Super Bowl wins of course had some big big plays in them Uh, but my first Redskins moment that I really remember and really strike you know struck me as something that was just so cool was I want to say the 86 season, uh, I think they went on to, to beat the Broncos in that Super Bowl, but they had to get past the Bears. Uh, and I don't remember which round in the playoffs it was. It was the but, divisional uh, round. Okay, so you know where I'm going. Daryl Green oh, yeah. catches Darryl that punt, Green. You know, breaks a rib um, yep. while he's kind of jumping over a guy. And that was literally my first memory of watching a game, everyone in the room going nuts and just being just thinking it was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> so... So that was definitely goes down as number one. Yeah, he didn't break a rib. He actually tore a muscle in his rib cage or something okay. like that. And he, <laughs> yeah. he after he making that leap, he was pretty much home free, and he he ran the last like forty yards holding that yep. muscle, holding his uh, side. I'll yeah, holding his it. side as he ran into the end zone and yeah. killed the chances of my fourteen and two defending world champions from uh, from being able to defend the crown at yes. Soldier Field. Yes, Chicago. So, yeah. uh, that was a really cool moment for all Redskins fans and definitely one that I think maybe led to me being to the point where I was such a huge fan going forward. And then you did it again a year later and ended Walter Payton's career. So that was... Uh... I remember watching that game. I remember feeling bad for Walter Payton, actually. I remember... I'll never forget the image of him just sitting on the bench with his head in his hands. Yes. You know? yes. That was a sad way to watch him go out. So. That was. Yes. So we're going to move on now. Um, <laughs> Since we've depressed everybody. Yes. Now that I'm sad and all of my listeners have stopped listening. Um, so 2014... Not a great year for you guys. There was optimism going in, a new new head coach, uh, you know, a new focus, no more Shanahan bickering with uh, Robert Griffin. Um, but instead, you bring in uh, Jay Gruden, uh, who was the offensive coordinator for the uh, Bengals, had a lot of success out there in Cincinnati, did a lot of good work with Ant- Andy Dalton uh, out there. Um, comes in, and 2014 goes down. You you 4 and 12 last in the division, losing streaks of four and six games apiece uh, last season. I mean, what was – I mean, it's, it was just such a mess uh, throughout the year um, with Griffin and, and Gruden. Uh, I mean, first of all, Gr- Griffin gets hurt second week of the, the season against yep. the – it was the Jaguars, right? It was. It was. The dislocated ankle. He was out, what, six, six weeks or so mm-hmm. yep, with right that? On. And then it just that began this um, musical chairs of quarterbacks 
and Gruden couldn't seem to make up his mind or pick a lane and stick with it. It was whoever the hot hand was. That's my guy. He's our starter. And, um, you know, it seemed like the team paid for it just about every time they made a change. Yeah, I mean, last season was just the epitome of dysfunction. Um, you know, there's there were, by by many accounts, you know, Griffin accomplished his goal in getting rid of Shanahan. I mean, there was so much sniping going on at the end of the 2013 season. It just totally fell apart. Um, Griffin apparently wanting to play quarterback more in a traditional role instead of uh, all the rollouts and the the running plays um, and the option plays. So he gets what he wants and, and Shanahan goes and, you know, they bring in a, a coach in Gruden who they think can take Griffin and turn him into that kind of more prototypical pocket passer, uh, which is what Andy Dalton is. And it just didn't work from the start. And you know, it's funny. I, I don't know where to draw the line between Jay Gruden and John Gruden, but John Gruden has gone on record as saying he's in love with Kirk Cousins. And um, yep. apparently during the preseason training camp and OTAs, Jay Gruden started to seem to, pars- to be partial to Kirk Cousins. And, um, of course, there was a famous kind of uh, few days where the Patriots came to town to practice with the Redskins. And all the reports coming out from the national media was, oh, Kirk Cousins way outdid a Robert Griffin. And, um, you know, Kirk Cousins looks so much better. Well, um, so Griffin comes out in, in, in the start of 2014 as the starter. Um, and Houston, he really, you know, he laid an egg. Um, you know, they start they start the they start the season off with a loss. Jacksonville, um, he was actually playing really well. I mean, he played I think a series and a half, or maybe it was just one series. He was moving the ball down the field, uh, you know, throwing the ball deep to Deshaun Jackson, and then of course he hurts himself again. And right. by by you know by by all reports, this was the uh, John Gruden or Jay Gruden wasn't crying many tears. He really I think wanted out wanted to see Kirk Cousins out there anyway, and he got his wish. Now unfortunately, what happened was Kirk Cousins um, showed a real um, propensity to just turn the ball over and really not handle pressure well, not handle the. Um, the just the idea of being the team leader and some of his body language he, he came under fire for some of his body language you know he'd throw a couple interceptions and and he'd just go and sulk on the sidelines um i was at a game on september 25th of the giants and on thursday night i think he threw six or seven interceptions game was out of hand by the third quarter right and that was it so then of course you have Kurt, colt mccoy come in that's you know now we're full fledged quarterback you know uh, round table here. Um, McCoy actually played decent, but he's not going to win you a lot of games. But he can hold down the fort. And then Griffin gets his chance again when McCoy gets hurt at the end of the season. So you know where are we? What are we left with? And what what it turned out to be is right now they're saying okay Griffin's going in as the starter heading into 2015, um, but he's going to have a short leash. And you know they gave him the extension um, uh, into next season, but you know they could always pull it out um, and not pay him that. If you know now the only danger is there if he gets a, suffers a season-ending injury, um, that's going to the team's going to be roped into having to pay him that amount anyway. I think it's six. 16 million. Um, so, but they felt like, and I think a large part of them granting him that extension was just mentally. I think mentally he needs to see that support from the team. And I know a lot of players still support Griffin. Uh, I have the opportunity, you know, we host a show on Thursday night. It's called The District, and it airs on, w, on uh, WBAD and on Hogshaven. And just talking to different players that we've had come through our show, um, that a lot of the players still think he can be the guy. 
And so, you know, he has their support for the most part. We'll see what happens. I mean, as OTAs go, um, you know, he, he, so, um, he famously had a, f- a couple of good practices where, you know, he had his swagger back and he's, you know, running around the field and high-fiving people. You know, if he can do some kind of hybrid, I think he is going to need to be able to still kind of present that danger to the defense of being a runner. He's not as fast as he was before his surgery, but he's still going to have to present that as an option. And then if he can get his head right and be able to read the defenses, not panic when the line's not holding up, he can. I still think he's got the arm and the smarts to play quarterback in this league. But there's so much... That's just a big if for him right now. And we're just going to see how it goes. So you said that that he's going to be on a short leash. Um, Yeah. Who exactly? I mean, how how long do you think that actually Jay Gruden's leash is? Because Daniel Snyder hasn't exactly been shy about, you know, ending the relationship with his head coach on, on a, you know, even after a year, I mean, he only had Marty Schottenheimer as his head coach for for one year at at one point. Uh, I don't think Jim Zorn was was around for much more than than a couple of years uh, out there. I mean, it's it's something that that uh, he's not exactly afraid to do. I mean, especially if the whole mess with with Gruden, you know, airing the dirty laundry in the media, because that became an issue last season about you know him talking about Griffin in, in the media and them kind of sniping at each other much like they did with Shanahan um, you know how, how long how much rope do you think Gruden is going to get if they have another year like they did last season well this is going to be one of the things that's interesting to watch from this team because you have two guys in power who are really on different timelines you have Scott McLuhan who comes in Dan Snyder gets pats on the back from everybody in the league You know he feels good about that move. Scott McLuhan has come in and really made some moves that have made sense to the fans. Um, So they are all on board with him. He's here for the long term. Then you have Jay Gruden. Um, Jay Gruden's relationship with Scott McLuhan is going to be crucial for him to stay here. Um, So I think Dan Snyder, obviously, is still going to be in the mix. But by all accounts, you know, McLuhan is the one running this show right now. So while the time so so what's interesting again with the timelines jay gruden's in this win now mode he know he, he knows he has to show that he's capable of running a team um capable of being a head coach and not just an offensive coordinator then you've got McLuhan, who knows he's looking long term so he's trying to build this team not necessarily not necessarily to win now but to win down the road you know that's why what's with the draft picks and so he knows that it's a process and he's even said this said as much So Gruden's in this unique position where he has to at least show the capability of being a head coach. I think he may be given a little more leeway than a traditional, you know, Dan Snyder led team would be given only because McLuhan um, is building this team in his image. And so, you know, he might get a little leeway if the team wins, you know, seven games, but they miss the playoffs, but they've shown some real, you know, no progress. I think Gruden will come back. Uh, I don't think it's a playoffs or bust season for him. Um, um, of course, if the two just don't get along and it's just kind of more dysfunction, then yeah, Gruden's going to be the first one out of town. McLuhan will still be here. Um, so Gruden's in a unique position. I I don't envy him. Um, he's going to have to work with with McLuhan, work with Griffin, um, and you know it's going to be a real test of what, of his mettle as a coach to be able to work with these different personalities and make it work. So again, you know it's just one of those wait and see things, and you know we'll be monitoring as as we get closer to the season. Right. So 
Gruden comes into town. He's he's known for for being somewhat of an offensive, you know, for lack of a better term, genius with what he was able to do with with Cincinnati and you know Andy Dalton, things like that going on in there. He comes into town, and the offense was a disaster. And it was it's it's kind of mind boggling considering you have weapons on the offensive side. You have. Yeah. Alfred Morris, you have Garcon, you have Deshaun Jackson, uh, the, the the tight end whose name is escaping me. Jordan Reed. Thank you very much. Jordan Jordan Reed. I mean, was it really the offensive line that hindered it that much? Or was it just, you know, not having having trouble adjusting to this new system in year one? Or was it because of the quarterback changes that we had? Or, you know, what what do you think was the root of the evil on that one? Uh, all the above. I mean, you, you have a quarterback carousel happening. You do have a line that could uh, – was just – you know, some some games it would play well. In other games, it was just a turnstile. I mean, poor Alfred Morris, who I, I'm a huge fan of his. And he's a downhill runner, a guy who if he gets any opening at all, he can run downhill and get you three or four or five yards just by putting his head down. Uh, I can't tell you how many times he got the ball in the backfield and there were already two guys waiting to tackle him and he would just make the most out of it. Now he's also gotten some criticism for maybe not uh, having uh, the, the great vision that you'd want, maybe not always finding the hole. Uh, I, to me, I felt it was more of a, you know, he, he had, he didn't have a lot of, a lot of chances um, where he had some clean lanes to run through. Um, yeah, from the wide receiver standpoint, Deshaun Jackson. Thank God for Deshaun Jackson because if the Redskins hadn't been able to pull that off at the uh, towards the end of the off season when the Eagles cut him, uh, they wouldn't have. I don't know what they would have had because I mean, Deshaun Jackson was really the only one who who struck fear in the hearts of defense for the Redskins right. last year, and he just did it consistently. So he's a stud. He'll be back, and you know they'll get his you know. 30 to 50 yard bombs from time to time. You got Pierre Garcon on the other side who we know what he's capable of. You know, he led the NFC in, in catches um, two years ago. And, you know, he was kind of the odd man out last season uh, while the quarterbacks kind of changed and the system got, you know, the team, the players got used to having both of those guys at wide out. And then Jordan Reed just can't stay healthy. Um, you know, if he could, um, he'd be great. You know, he's shown that he can play in this league when he does, when he is in the game. But he's got concussion issues and other injuries. Um, you have a guy like a Niles Paul who's been kind of been his backup, and you know, I'm hearing good things about what he's been able to do this off season. But the the key to me, I think, is the line. I think that's why McLuhan spent the fifth round, the the fifth pick in the draft on Brandon Sheriff. Um, they just need some studs up front and. Especially when you have some quarterbacks in Griffin, Cousins, who showed the inability to always read the defense quickly. So when they would have that little bit of pressure on them immediately, the whole thing would just fall apart. So you want to protect those guys. And with Sheriff, hopefully, you know, being able to step in and play some right tackle. Um, that should beef up. You know, they have some other guys coming in. Uh, Spencer Long is, you know, they, they're going to have him playing right guard, it looks like. So hopefully with some of the newer guys, you just want to give those quarterbacks a little bit of time uh, and create some lanes so that Alfred Morris and a Matt Jones can, you know, can, can make some positive rushing plays. Right, because even despite the uh, deficiencies up front, Alfred Morris still 
still broke a thousand yards. Yeah, he did, but he had his worst yards per average season, uh, yards per carry average. It was still over four, I want to say, but four point one. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I mean, before he was somewhere in four point five, four point seven neighborhood. And like I said, I literally felt sorry for the guy. He's just a worker. He's just a guy who puts his head down and does what the coaches tell him. Um, he's got a little competition now with Matt Jones, the third round pick out of Florida, who looks good so far. But, um, you know, they, they I, one of the things I like about Scott McLuhan is he knows that really what this game, I think this game is played in the trenches. You know, it's the big uglies up front on the defensive line and the offensive line. And he has gone a long way to try to improve this Redskins offensive line. And anytime you can do that, uh, it should mean good things for the season. Well, he just came from San Francisco, correct? Uh, actually, Scott McLuhan. Yeah, he was actually a free agent. Um, I believe his last stop was um, Seattle. I may be mistaken on that, but he was he had had some personal issues, dealt with some alcoholism, apparently, oh. um, and was just out there as a guy who had stepped away from the game to get his personal life in order. And in a way, he kind of fell in the Redskins lap. Apparently, he had a relationship with uh, Bruce Allen and the Gruden family just in his travels and around the league. Uh, and again, this was the biggest offseason move by all accounts for the Redskins, just picking him up, picking up a guy um, who's been around the Packers, been around the Niners, been around Seattle, had winners, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. see, and seen how to build a championship team. And that's what all Redskins fans are hoping he can do here. Well, I mean, that philosophy makes sense, especially if Seattle was his last stop. I mean, yeah. that's that's what they do. In Seattle is that, you know, they let the big guys up front, you know, handle what needs handling up front and let the guys, the skill guys do what they need to do uh, elsewhere. I mean, exactly. Marshawn Lynch with the, you know, with his, I mean, that guy is just an animal, you know, on top of it. But uh, he's got the lanes and finds the holes that are opened up by the guys uh, up front. So and you're not going to find I mean, the guys like him don't grow on trees, but. One of the reasons that, um, you know, Matt Jones gets compared to him quite a bit. And, you know, you, you kind of see that the, how just the size and how they can the hard, you know, the hard running style. Um, those two uh, are comparable. You know, it's hard to compare right now because, you know, you have a rookie coming in. But just physically, they look similar. Um, so, you know, yeah, you, I'm sure he's going to want to run a similar type offense. Uh, it's, again, that fine line between the, the general manager and the coach and can they find that right mix and hopefully they can so who would you rather have playing quarterback i mean after you know i mean there's there's kind of been that whole thing with with kirk cousin and and robert griffin since they they came in and in the same draft class together um and and some thought that that possibly that cousins was the more nfl ready of the two because griffin was in this widespread you know, uh, you know, shotgun offense in at Baylor mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, Cousins was more of the pro style guy at uh, Michigan State and everything. Uh, and then you also have Cole McCoy, who was a Heisman candidate when he was in college. Who would you rather have calling your signals for you? I mean, to me, I think it has to be Griffin. Um, I, I don't worry so much about the draft picks necessarily. Uh-huh. Um, to me, that's a sunk cost. But um, what I do see is anyone who watched him in 2012, you see the danger and threat he can pose to a uh, defense with the threat of being able to pass and run the ball. Like I said, he's not going to be as fast as he was before. He's not going to be busting any 80-yard r- runs like he did on, against the Vikings in 2012. Yeah. But um, if you can use him the right way, like they do in Seattle with a Russell Wilson, where you can roll him out – 
do a little bit of the read option. Um, I think he can still be very effective there. And if you can, you know, what, what Shanahan and Kyle Shanahan did um, with him in 2012 that was really genius was they just made it simple for him. So they almost cut the field in half, gave him one or two receivers that to look for. And because the defense was so on edge about, oh, is he going to give the ball to Morris? Is he going to keep the ball? Is he going to run? Is he going to pass? Um, that worked. Now the defense ha- defenses in the NFL obviously have have found ways to kind of beat this. Um, you know, it's not as scary to them as it used to be, and you have a quarterback who's not as fast as he used to be. But to me, I think if they can find that good mix of the read option, little pocket passing mixed in, I still think Griffin can be the guy. Again, so much of this is going to be. Is he able to read defenses and is he able to see where the openings are going to be versus, you know, waiting for them to happen? And that's something that, you know, like Andrew Luck is doing already. He can see where the openings are going to be. He can take his receiver to the open spot. You always feel like Griffin's kind of reacting instead of being proactive. Um, So I think a lot of it's going to be spending time in the film room. We know the guy is a physical freak. You know, he's always posted. Well, he hasn't done it in a while, but for a while, you know, on Twitter and Facebook, he was posting videos and pictures of himself in the weight room. Hey, that's great. You know, stay healthy, um, build up your muscles. That's fine. But where he really needs the most work is in the film room. And I really, really hope he's spending a lot of time trying to read, learn how to read defenses. Um, Because if he can do that, I do think he can still put it all together. So you think that Griffin's challenge is more mental than it is physical? 100%. He's got the arm. He's not a dumb guy. He's really smart. Uh, it's just about being able to read and react and not always just reacting, but like I said, being proactive, knowing where that opening is going to be. That's what the great ones can do. They can lead receivers to the open spot. Um, all the physical traits are there. It's just mentally, can he prepare himself? And I think he, I think he has the want to, I think he really wants to be that guy. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of being able to accept coaching, um, you know, trust in your team, trust in your line. Um, and can he do that? You know, that's yet to be seen. I really hope it's him though. Cause I still, I'm not, I'm not as confident in cousins. I think again, physical traits, but he has a problem reading the defense. And then you have a Colt McCoy who's, he's never going to, I don't think he's ever going to win you a Super Bowl. Um, he can come in and hold down the fort for a little while and play just okay. But, you know, it's, to me, it has to be Griffin for this team to succeed. Right. Now, on to the other side of the ball. Um, granted, his production wasn't as high as in previous years, but uh, Arakbo uh, leaves town. He's a Tennessee Titan now, you do have Ryan Kerrigan uh, yep. on the other side who had a much better season with like 12 and a half sacks yeah, he's last year. Yep. And, um, you know, living up. He was a first rounder, wasn't he? He was. Kerrigan? Yep. Okay. So finally living up to the billing um, there. And, you know, what are some of the other highlights on the defensive side of the ball there? Well, as important as Deshaun Jackson was on offense, that was Kerrigan on the defense. I mean, he seemed to be the only guy who could make any headway getting to the quarterback. Um, I think he probably was one of the only guys that maybe struck a little fear in the offense, the opposing offense. Um, the Redskins have tried hard to find someone to match up with him. Arakpo was kind of a stats guy, but not really an impact guy. Mm-hmm. I don't know if P- P- uh, fans of teams around the league kind of knew that. I mean, you'd see he might get his 10, 11, 12 sacks, but they just always seemed to come in moments that weren't important. And whenever you needed it, he just never was there. Um, so many red, no, no tears were cried when Arakpo left this team. They, they just weren't. Fans were like sayonara. Um, so, of course, last year they draft Trent Murphy. 
Um, you know, he was a good run stopper last season. Not a guy necessarily put on a lot of pressure, but I, uh, you know, that's something that can improve. And then, of course, um, in 2015, they drafted Preston Smith, defensive end of Mississippi State, who they're going to try to make him play that hybrid role um, like they did with Arakpo. Can one of these two guys pan out and, you know, help Kerrigan? Um, that would be terrific. Um, the other side of the ball, uh, the other side of the coin on the defense, of course, is just how poor the secondary played last season. I mean, just giving up record amount of yards and touchdowns and deep balls. And so all the safeties from last year are gone. You know, this year you have Deshaun Goldson who comes over from Tampa Bay and a uh, trade that, you know, the Redskins basically gave up uh, pocket change for him. Uh, he's a guy who they have high hopes for, a guy who McLuhan had in San Francisco to come in and play um, either free or strong. Uh, and then, of course, you have Deron Johnson, who they brought in as a free agent from Seattle, another McLuhan guy. Um, so you've got these two guys. You've got uh, Duki Anacho, who they picked up last season from the Denver Broncos, who started for them in the Super Bowl the year before that. Between those three, you hope you have two sa- two safeties in there. <laughs> Um, and then, of course, on the cornerback, you've got Bashad Breland, who came in as a rookie last year as a fourth-round pick and just exceeded expectations, played big, showed a lot of potential. He's a big physical corner, can do everything um, that you need in a big physical type guy that's not going to get run over by some of these bigger receivers. David Amerson didn't really pan out last year, so they went out and got Chris Colover from San Francisco, another right. McLuhan guy. Yeah. So, you know, he's bringing in his guys, guys that have had had success in the league. And so, the you know, on a defense, if these if these secondary additions can pan out along with some of the you know, defense, they, they've added some defensive line guys as well that can really, you know, add to the beef in the middle. Um, you know, it's again, wait and see, but this is a, it's a whole new defense for the most part outside of Kerrigan and, and some of the linebackers. Right. Cause, um, along for, aside from, you know, bringing in basically an entirely brand new secondary with, with Culliver and, and Goldson and, and Johnson coming in, they also have pretty much an entirely brand new defensive line. Yep. I mean, Jason Hatcher is your holdover, but you bring in Steven Paya from my bears yep. and, then you bring in pot roast the uh, Terrence Knighton from the uh, from the Broncos, mm-hmm. and he's going to be your nose tackle going yeah. in. So I mean, this is you know you're bringing in all these names. You're just hoping that they can gel together. Exactly, and whether or not that can happen, you just don't know. But what you like about it is that at least it's it's a priority. And you always kind of felt like um, over the last ten years with Vinny Serrato and, uh, you know, it just never seemed like a priority. They went for the big, sexy names. They right. threw a lot of money at them. It didn't work. What I like is that you mentioned Pot Rose, Terrence Knighton. He's, he came here on a one-year deal, basically. So it's a it's a wait-and-see deal. He probably could have – you would think a guy like him with the production he had um, and the reputation he had – um, that he could have gotten something a better deal, but the Redskins brought him here on a one-year deal, saying, "Hey, have a great season, and we'll pay you." So you know, to have guys like that that are hungry, it's such a big turnaround from guys that came in fat and happy, and the Redskins just kind of hoped they'd continue to do what they did before. This year, they're kind of had, they're bringing in guys that want to earn it, want to bring their reputation back up. You know, like I mentioned, Deshaun Goldson. He's the last two seasons for him have been down years. This is a show, the show, you know, show me season. What can you do? Can you come back to being, uh, you know, a premier safety in the league? Right. So, you, you know, you have all these new faces on the defensive side being led by a brand new defensive coordinator. Jim Hazlitt is is gone now. 
Joe Barry is your new defensive coordinator, linebacker coach from from San Diego. Um, What are you hearing that he's going to do different from what Hazlitt was doing? Uh, You know, you hear the same buzzwords, more aggressive, more hybrid type 3-4 defense. Uh, giving the players more room and, um, you know, more leeway to rush the passer. Hey, that's fine. I mean, Jim Hazlitt said the same thing last year. Joe Barry didn't create much excitement when he signed. Most people know him as the defensive coordinator from the winless Lions team a few years back. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, it's it, again, player feedback has been positive. We've talked to some of the, the players on, on the defense. They, they like what they're seeing so far. I mean, here, uh, this is another case kind of in line with what we were talking before. This guy wants to prove himself as a coach. This is his next shot as defensive coordinator after the disaster of the time he had in Detroit. So, um, you know, a a, a lot of some some of it's coaching, some of it's the players. The players have to play. And so, you know, if if they're running a more aggressive type style, that's fine. But again, the players have to be there. And, um, you know, so you hope that what McLuhan's doing is working with him, bringing in guys that, you know, that Barry wants to have and work with. And then, hey, if it works great, if not, we're back to square one after next season. You know, you just have to wait and see. (laughs) Right. So we talked about Matt Jones, your third round pick. We talked about Scherf is, you know, the first, the crown jewel of the, uh, Right. Of the draft class, somewhat of a surprise that the Redskins went that way. A lot of people thought that with him being on the board, um, Williams was going to be your guy, the defensive uh, lineman Leonard from Williams. Sure. Yeah, Leonard Williams was going to be your guy from from USC. Uh, you go ahead and, and you go with Scherf. And, you know, who else in this class of 10 players, a rather large draft class for the Redskins, uh, at least in recent memory? Anyway, who else among those picks is, are, are you excited about? Oh, there's a couple guys. Um, you know, the the choice of Sheriff in the in the fifth with the fifth pick was an interesting one. And what came out after the draft was the Redskins really had three guys on their board that they would have taken if they were available. And it was Amari Cooper and Dante Fowler Jr. and then Brandon Brandon Sheriff. Um, Amari Cooper goes to the Raiders one pick before. Dante Fowler goes to the Jaguars at three. Um, and then Sheriff sitting there. So they know that, I think they thought, just like a lot of other experts kind of predicted, that the Redskins could maybe try to move down and get him. There was just no bot. In order to make a trade, you got to have someone to dance with. And they couldn't find anybody. So they go ahead and take him with the fifth pick. And they think he's going to be the staple on the right side. So hopefully that works out. Um, up until maybe three weeks ago, I would have said, the, and I think many people would say this in Washington, a pick that got a lot of people excited was Jameson Crowder, wide receiver out of Duke. You know, a short guy. He's only five foot eight, but he was so productive there. And uh, speedster, guy that can be a great possession receiver, um, guy that can return punts. Um, so everyone was really excited about him, but unfortunately something weird happened with his Instagram account a few weeks back and now he's being investigated for some, um, kind of, uh, some kind of issue with a, a, a girlfriend and so, you know, and the NFL is being real careful with that stuff now as they should be. So, you know, there's fear that he might get suspended. Um, who knows? Um, so outside of Sheriff, 
you know, um, the hope is that Preston Smith can come in and create some pa- pass rush. Matt Jones is really turning heads already, even though they haven't worn pads. Um, again, I mentioned him just as a guy who could be powerful. Outside of that, I think the rest of the picks they took were really, re- really meant for kind of a special teams role, mm-hmm. which is great. You know, that's what this team needs. Special teams was a real weakness uh, the last two seasons. So you have a guy like a Tevin Mitchell, a cornerback out of Arkansas, or an Evan Spencer, wide receiver at Ohio State. I don't think anyone expects them to come in and play that role. I think they come, they expect them to come in and and knock some heads on special teams. And um, they're a type of guy that's a, they're they're that they have that right attitude that says I want to play special teams. So you know it was a more of a depth um, thing after that. And um, and then McLuhan has proven himself so far to have a pretty good track record. Um, we'll see if it holds up with this team. And you know. One other move that that I found interesting was the Bill Callahan yeah. move was yeah. stealing him as uh, to take the same job too. To right. he was just he just the offensive line coach uh, for the uh, Cowboys. He comes over to the Redskins and now he's going to just be the offensive line coach. Uh, you know they they didn't attach a special title or anything to it, did they? No, just offensive line coach. Because I I remember that that uh, you know like the the most expensive coaching staff ever um, a few years back with the with the Redskins when when Al Saunders was the <laughs> offensive coordinator, but he had some like associate head coach or sure. you know they were handed out titles. At that yeah, point. it was yep. such an odd thing. They had these whacked out titles that uh, you know basically essentially the guy was the offensive coordinator, but. Uh, to jazz it up, they gave him some special name uh, right. that attached it to it as well, mm-hmm. uh, just to see that you know Callahan was just going to be the offensive coach, not the vice head coach or something <laughs> like that. Right. Well, keep in mind it's a totally different regime now. So that was right. Vinny Serrato, that was Joe Gibbs. Uh, I mean, the, not the Al Sander squad, but they did manage to make the playoffs a couple seasons under the, under Joe Gibbs. Right. But yeah, I think some of that was trying to entice coaches to come by giving them kind of more of a title. Um, yeah, Bill Callahan comes in as just the offensive line coach. However, um, in the last OTAs two weeks ago, uh, Jay Gruden mentioned how there will be some uh, kind of split decisions on play calling and how sometimes Bill Callahan might, ha- Bill Callahan might call some plays. That made um, some eyebrows uh, furrow uh, among the media here because uh, – that typically hasn't worked <laughs> when you're splitting the play calling up in by two or three guys. Um, Cause of course you have Sean McVay, who's the offensive coordinator here who we haven't even talked about yet. But um, so between Gruden and Sean McVay and Callahan, they're going to have to get that settled and figured out. Uh, I know Callahan had some play calling duties in Dallas for part of the season. And I think maybe one of the reasons that relationship soured is they took some of that away from him or all of that away from him. Um, but what he brings is just a, more he's it's going away from the zone style um that that shanahan liked and i think that gruden kept some of last year to more of just a bruising downhill powerful power style you know and 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 that's what callahan brings and it reminds some some people around here of the hogs and just you know being bigger and just crushing people down the line guys that can be powerful and move um so that's what callahan is saying he's going to bring that's what his track record says too and whether the the key is can they can they figure out the play calling duties and and how all that's going to work and that's you know who who knows what's going to happen with that but uh, that has definitely been something that has uh, made some fans a little nervous around here. 
Right. Well, I, re- I think I remember at one point, I think even it happened maybe even when Wade Phillips was still the coach in, in Dallas that uh, that uh, um, Garrett, Jason Garrett was um, the pass coordinator and Bill Callahan was the run coordinator or something like that uh, for the uh, – for the Cowboys, I mean, it, when 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 you mentioned something like that, that was the first thing that came to my mind was yeah. that was that you know he's going to have two offensive coordinators and one of them's going to call the running plays, the other one's going to call the the passing plays kind of thing. That's uh, and that terrifies me. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> bet it. Yeah, truth, that terrifies me because this team, even the last two three seasons, whether it was just you know Kyle Shanahan in charge running the offense. Last year, whether it was McVeigh or Gruden, this team has a hard time managing the playcock. They just do. Um, it seemed like so many times where they were rushing to get the playoff in between. Um, so it seems when you add another person to that mix, uh, it's a little, it can be a little scary. So you hope the, the clock issues get figured out and not worsened by what they're trying to do here. A lot of wasted time out last, last year. Oh, terrible! Yeah, just the the play, the clock management wasn't good. I mean, you can you can um, chalk some of that up to being a first time head coach, mm-hmm. you know. And you hope you learn from it. You hope Gruden can can kind of take that and and know what he needs to change going forward. But when you got too many cooks and too many people calling the plays, um, that can be a disaster, like you said. So that's you know, hopefully they figure that out. Yeah, that. <laughs> Notice I say a lot of hopefully. Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, you sound like me actually. It's like I just hope you know it's, we're bringing in Vic Fangio this year, and we're switching from four three to three four, and we brought this guy in, we brought that guy in, and you, and and you know what this reputation is. You just you just hope that it works out. It's just... Exactly. And I know <laughs> with Chicago, you know, you guys have have won in the past, so fans mm-hmm. there are probably just as. Uh, eager to get back to it um, and kind of probably I know it, it, you almost start to get sick of it around here because all the Redskins fans get fed by the team our history you know look what we did look what we did look what we did you go to a game they just keep showing highlights of old seasons and you reach a point now where it's been 25 years and let's start creating some new pl- some new memories you yes. know that's what you want to do <laughs> well I mean it, it's you know as great as they were you know, I, I think that any Bear fan alive would agree that it's time to stop talking about the 85 Bears. Right, exactly. I mean, that's that's the mantle that we hang everything upon because, you know, a, a solid argument could be made that as far as one season is concerned, they might be the best of all time. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that's literally 30 years ago that that's when that happened. <laughs> right. You know, we've had one trip back to the Super Bowl since then. And in that time, I think maybe only two or three other trips to the, even to the conference championship, um, you know, since 85. So it's, uh, it, <laughs> well, you know, bear fans, much like you guys with the Redskins. And, you know, I think 91 was your last title um, with the, uh, with Mark Rippon and those Redskins would much rather be talking about 2015 than still dwelling on 1991. Exactly. And I, I read a stat the other day that really just kind of just depressing as can be. And I hadn't really thought of it this way. But since the Reds, since Joe Gibbs retired the first time as head coach, and I think it was 92, 93, um, the Redskins have won a grand total of two playoff games since then. So that's the kind of you know, ineptness we've been dealing with. <laughs> right. Uh, I had an equally, uh, uh, equally uh, depressing uh, stat that I read 
Um, I'm, I'm sure I'll flub the numbers, but it was something like uh, looking at Tom Brady's playoff record, mm-hmm. how many playoff games he's played in, or I'm actually how many that he's won. And I could, well, like, I actually went back and did the math that since like Ditka left or something like <laughs> something ridiculous like that, uh-huh. uh, you know, Peyton or uh, Brady has won more games than the Bears have played in or something. <laughs> Some sad statistic, like he's won twice as many playoff uh, games as the Bears have played in since yes, then, or something yes. sad like that. Because I remember I, I actually immediately called a friend and be like, "Dude, you got to talk me off the ledge. This is, <laughs> you know, it's like they're talking about, you know, Brady yeah. just won his twentieth playoff game or something like that, and the Bears haven't played in a dozen playoff games in that right. span or, or right. anything like that." Yeah, so it's you uh, remember the good times you cling oh, man. to them. And yeah. then you though you you don't even realize how much you're torturing yourself as you watch the four win seasons and <laughs> I can't tell you how many times last season watching these games where I just would have to question why do I do this to myself yeah <laughs> yeah you know why put my body through all this torture it's just not so what what was the the on field product like last year for the skins because I know as a bear fan what was most troubling and disturbing and frustrating for me was that my team never looked like it was ready to play and on top of that they didn't look like they cared either so I mean it was something that can like eat you up from the inside just watching them be that way was there anything like that going on with the Redskins last year um what was sickening the most was just watching the defense not being able to stop anybody I mean, yeah, like well, I said, yeah. they gave out record. They gave up record amount of yards, um, and whenever they needed a stop, they couldn't get it. Um, on the offensive side, I think the Redskins had the worst third down percentage in the league. Um, so it was just how many times they needed something and they didn't get it, and that's what would always hurt. But you know, watching the dysfunction with the quarterback play, you knew, you know. You didn't have any faith in them getting it anyway. Right. Um, and then, you know, on the defense, you just you, <laughs> how many times I watched every opposing quarterback just have all day back there and just pick the defense apart. So between no pressure and nobody good playing in the secondary, you know, four wins is actually pretty a kind of a minor miracle. Um, you know, they beat Philadelphia towards the end of the season, that was the best game of the season probably just because it knocked the Eagles out of the playoffs. <laughs> so, right. You know, I mean, and some fans were mad that they won because it gave them a worse draft pick. So, you know, it's just so terrible to have to sit and watch this. And so I always tell my friends or my family, you know, if I'm going to a Redskins game, I'm going to try to go early in the season when there's still hope. And typically after the first month, I pretty much don't go anymore because I know, <laughs> you know, what we're in store for. <laughs> so, right. Yeah, so, it's uh, it's yep. it's this sad times. <laughs> yeah, you you guys were four and twelve. We were five and eleven. So we yes. weren't, uh, you know, we were only one game better. And and when when you talk about the defense being that way, I'm I'm reminded of the last game that we actually played against one another was in that was in 2013, and I think it was week six or week seven when uh, Jake Cutler actually got hurt in the game. He was taken out and. Uh, Josh McCown comes in and we're thinking, okay, well, this is this is not going to be good. Right. And they managed to score 31 points mm-hmm. after Cutler left the game. But it was one of those games where it was like watching a game of Madden or something yep. like that because it just it just came down to whoever had the ball last was going to win because neither one of these defenses 
could even fathom stopping the other one. Exactly. And it was a, it was a it was such a uh, you know roller coaster of emotions type game because you watch McCown race down the field, put it in the end zone, like oh my god, this is great, we're tied or we got the lead or whatever, only to watch Griffin and the Redskins and in that particular game, it was like I think it was Hilu. Junior Roy in that Hilu. one, yeah, Roy never Hilu. had a multi-touchdown game in his life. He finally had, he has a three-touchdown <laughs> game against the Bears in that yeah. one. It's like, yeah, that's the kind of stuff that always happens yeah. to the Bears. Is that the you know this guy has doesn't even know how to tie his shoes, but somehow he runs for a buck fifty and three touchdowns against my team. So that game took a lot out of me. I was at that yeah. game actually. Oh, you were there. Oh my I god, I was there and. Um, what killed me the most, and this is kind of typical for FedEx Field, the number of Bears fans there. It drove me crazy. I mean, we were sitting um, in what they call the Joe Gibbs Club level, and I had 10 Bears fans all around me. So watching them kind of be in your ear, that was tough <laughs> to watch that game. In the end, the Redskins pulled out a victory, but yeah. it didn't feel like it even. Like, it was just, I mean, it was, you know, I was glad I saw the win. But that game was not one I would consider fun. It was just too much, uh, too much on the old ticker. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> that was a that was a crazy, crazy game. It was. I mean, frustrating <laughs> to no end. I mean, oh, I, I'm sure I, for a Bears fan, you know, coming out with that loss, uh, like you said, when McCown came in as a Redskins fan, I'm thinking we got this, you know. And yeah. no, he poured it on. So <laughs> he just came right down. You know, yeah. it was unbelievable uh, to watch. But uh, speaking of the, you know, the Bear fans. Uh, I actually was at a game later that season. I went to see him play in St. Louis against the Rams, and that was literally a 50-50 crowd. Wow. As far as, uh, you know, the, the amount of Bear fans that were there, uh, the ratio of, you know, uh, of fans, uh, us to them, and, and, and wow. so on and so forth. It was, huh. it was an amazing thing to see yeah. in a stadium that holds 68,000, 70,000 people half of them were visitors yeah that's crazy i mean dc i think you can um see some of it in the sense that so many people are not from dc that live here mm -hmm. and then of course when the team's not very good play you know team uh, uh season holders are giving up their tickets left and right um and that's a real problem i mean the, the redskins removed i want to say I want to say 5,000, maybe 10,000 more seats just this off season. They're trying to make it a more intimate setting in the hopes that it's more Redskins fans that show up <laughs> because so many games, they really haven't had a home field advantage because it's almost 50, 50 almost like you said. Yeah. No, the bear fans, we definitely travel well. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah. Cause I remember there was the Monday night game against the Cowboys. Uh, there was uh, a multitude of bear fans there. Uh, in the Jerry Dome, at the somewhat embarrassed Jerry Jones when the, when it came down to it, especially after you he won the, that happens. Yeah, yeah, you gotta love it when you piss off Jerry Jones. That's that's a good exactly. thing. Not to mention that we kind of rammed it down their throats that night. That was actually a good night for us. So I'm sure I enjoyed that as much as you did. So, <laughs> so it is the Cowboys you, that that you even as even as a fan you dislike the most. Oh, completely. Um, okay. Followed by Seattle. They've they've worked their way up to my my list of hate. Um, they are now number two to the Cowboys. <laughs> Is that okay? All right. So, looking at your schedule, anything that uh, jumps out at you this year? Games that you're looking forward to, games that you're dreading, that kind of thing. 
Uh, I'm I'm so sick of trying to predict. You know, last season you think you're open at Houston and then Jacksonville. You think you're oh, those are two wins. Uh, of course, Houston beat them. Um, we did end up taking the Jacksonville game. Um, not really. I mean, one of the things I do like about this schedule is the, the number of one o'clock games, and that's purely for selfish reasons. Right. Um, I prefer to watch the one o'clock games. Um, but uh, from a player standpoint, I do think it helps in the routine and the scheduling of what they have to do. So when you're bad and you only win four win four wins, um, you're not going to be on national TV as much. And that's the, the that's they're they're reaping the the benefits of that. Um, for this season, no, you're going to have to play the NFC East, you know, and it's always back and forth. Um, I think there in the last 12 years, no team from the division has won back-to-back division titles. So there will be some team, um, you know, that'll sneak up and win. You know, the Cowboys won it in 2014. No one thought they were going to do that. Um, so, you know, who knows who will sneak in and win it this season. From a scheduling standpoint, it's going to be too hard to predict. Let's see what's going on. You know, Miami and St. Louis um, for right now seem like uh, that should be win- those should be winnable games. They may not be, you know, and, and each right. season um, you never know who's going to step up. So I'm, I always take a wait-and-see approach um, before I start picking some winners. But, I mean, yeah, I like that they have the bye week right smack dab in the middle of the season i think that'll be helpful um that you know i always like that having that better than kind of later in the season mm-hmm. and then again the the only three night games i think those i think that's great for them i think that'll help the team yeah two of them are on thursday actually yeah mm-hmm. that's and interesting yeah see those hurt um because you know again you shorten that that work week and you talk to players and that really and they need those days to get their bodies right yeah <laughs> So, yeah. you know, the, 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 the less amount of those, the, the happier I am. Right. So, okay. So, I mean, I'm looking at the schedule again. This is the first time I really had to look at it. You got the NFC South this year, which yep. bodes very well for you because uh, at least last year anyway, all four of those teams were terrible. Right. Uh, I mean, even the division champion had a losing record. Yeah. Seven, exactly. eight and, seven, eight, and one out of the, out of the champion uh last year so i mean that should be uh helpful uh to you guys and you have it should AFC but again east. you never know from year to year that's the yeah thing. that's that is the thing and and you have the afc east as well so you're playing the the patriots and the bills who are who seem to be you know kind of getting it together and you got the the jets and the um dolphins in there as well and uh so that uh makes well, for one of the interesting... things you have to like i think as you do look at the schedule to have those two home games at first yeah um if you can um, take care of business there. You're going to have to go to New York after that. But then uh, until the bye week, you, I mean, the schedule doesn't look as daunting right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, Philadelphia is not going to be easy. But Atlanta, in Atlanta, you know, in the in, at the Jets, and then Tampa comes here. If you can get off to a good start before that bye week, you know, that's when you're gonna. That's when they got to do it because the second half of the schedule is definitely a little tougher. Um, if you look at it, so, you know, they have to get it off to a good start and it's going to depend on health and, you know, how Griffin's playing. Um, but, uh, you know, that it looks like you can really make some, make some hay in the first half of the season. And if they can, then that'll bode well for them. So do you think the success of the season or maybe just even just the offense hinges on Gruden and Griffin getting along this year? Um, definitely. I mean, that's a huge linchpin of this team. 
that has to work. Now, of course, if you have an improved defense that is making it harder on opposing offenses to score than 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 they did last year, that's going to be a huge help, and you might be able to overcome some def- some quarterback deficiencies. But the two keys here. Um, on the defensive side, you gotta put, you gotta create pressure. McLuhan has made some moves to help do that. Um, he's made some moves to help shore up the back end of the defense. So you can't let the the offense, the opposing offense, score cheap touchdowns. And then on the offense, yeah, it's gonna hinge on can Griffin get it together. I think. Um, and if the offensive line is improved and blocking for him, he's got the offensive talent, like you said, around him. He's got the guys, the weapons to throw it to and to hand off to. So the key to me, are on those those are the two keys to me for the, going into the next season. All right. So any, do you have a prognosis? Do you, do you like to play the prediction game with the, with the schedule or anything like that? <laughs> I mean, I do it every year. I, I usually, you know, throw out like seven to eight wins just to kind of play it safe. Right. Uh, um, God, you know, I, I it's, a, it's going to be impossible to predict. So no, I I mean let's say eight wins again, but I think that's being generous. I do think they're going to be somewhere closer to that, maybe six to seven wins. And like I said, that doesn't necessarily mean a disaster of a season. Right. They're showing progress. Griffin settles in. The offensive line is playing better. The defense is playing better. They play you know sixteen uh, close games and come out with six or seven wins. I think you bring everybody back, try to bring in another high draft pick, and 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 go from there. Um, so I don't see playoffs in their future this year. I just don't. Of course, you know, like I said, with this league, as soon as you start to say that, a team turns around and does something you never would have thought. So, right. Well, no one was expecting that in 2012. That's for sure. Nope. No one was. And like I said, no one expected the Cowboys to have the season they had last year. Right. It's just yeah. kind of you never know. Yeah, that is the beauty of the NFL. That exactly. any given the any given Sunday rule is always uh, always fun. So. Where else, um, you know, we we you're on hogshaven.com. Where where else can we uh, find you out there on the web? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mike Harar, M-I-K-E-H-A-R-A-R. Um, our show is called The District. Like I said, it comes on. You can listen to it on at hogshaven.com, streaming live there. Um, and you can follow that at District Strong on Twitter. Um, and, uh, you know, that's a, it, one of the cool things about that show is we're able to get some cool players on. We have a former Redskin who hosts the show with us, Robert Henson. Um, so, so we, we, we get some good player perspective there. We try to be kind of a players type show. Um, so yeah, so you can follow me there and, uh, just look for more kind of cool things coming from Hogshaven as we go forward, you know, as the training camp starts, you know, you're going to get some really good coverage there. Um, so yeah, uh, just look for us right there. Okay, great. So. We got you guys week 14 this year. That will be December the 13th in Chicago. And uh, what I'd like to do is uh, get you back that week leading into the game, kind of compare notes, see where the skins are at, see where the bears at heading into this game. Hopefully it will be meaningful for both of us uh, going into that, uh, into that week. But we'd love to have you back and uh, talk some more Redskins with us uh, was it week 14 when uh, when our two teams actually finally get down to button heads with each other? Absolutely. Count me in. Looking forward right. to it. And like you said, hopefully we'll have some some, uh, some competitive teams to talk about. <laughs> yeah, might be still be trying for that wild card spot or something exactly. like that. Exactly. All right. Well, thanks so much uh, for being on the show, Mike. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Appreciate it. Looking forward to it. Thanks again oh. for having me on. No problem. You have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. <laughs>
Mike Harar from SB Nation's Hogshaven.com and the District uh, Podcast, which you said you can also find on Hogshaven.com. Uh, I did not get a chance to ask him uh, if you could find that on iTunes, so uh, just go ahead and search iTunes, see if you can find The District. It's the podcast that uh, Mike does with himself and uh, I think two other, two other gentlemen uh, that do the show there about the uh, Redskins, much like we do here about the Chicago Bears. So... Um, Great conversation with him. Like I said, hope to have him on in December uh, when the Redskins and the Bears do butt heads at Soldier Field on the 13th. And, um, you know, I, I enjoyed uh, having that conversation with him. Did not so much enjoy what his favorite moment as a Redskins fan was um, because it just uh, <laughs> that really sucked, man. Daryl Green running that kickback. That was pretty much the end of the game. Uh, right there um, you know here he is and he's injured and he's basically holding his body together with one hand as he runs uh, into the end zone to to effectively end one of the most impressive runs in uh, in football history the Bears went 15 and 1 the year before and then 14 and 2 the year after that they were seemingly invincible you know and then at home against that Redskins team um they just couldn't get it going uh, on offense, and the Redskins were a solid defensive team uh, that year. Uh, and what made it kind of worse is that the Redskins did not go to the Super Bowl that year. They actually lost to the Giants in the NFC Championship game the following week, and uh, you know, so we we lost to the guys that that lost to the World Champs instead of losing to the people that actually won the whole deal actually we we gave ourselves that distinction the year a year later when the redskins came back to soldier field and beat us again then they went on to the super bowl to uh to beat the broncos there at super bowl 22 uh the year in 87 when when they uh, effectively retired walter payton for us so anyway not the greatest memories as bear fans but uh you know that that's why i asked the question you know what's that moment that sticks out for you that uh, that you remember or your first great memory uh you know as a fan of your team and so on you get some interesting answers from people when you ask them that so that uh uh is uh even though this one was was a bitter pill for us bear fans to swallow it uh, was the moment that stuck out for him and his fandom of the washington redskins so uh was a great conversation and like i said hope to have him on uh, at the at the end of the season when the Bears and the Redskins uh, play each other, so so that's uh, going to do it for the uh, for the same place opponent previews. We got the Bucks and the Redskins out of the way. Up next in a few days, we're going to have Lori Lattimore Volkman from the MileHighReport.com, or actually it's just Mile High Report, not the Mile High Report, but MileHighReport.com on SB Nation to talk about the AFC West and more specifically her Denver Broncos and uh, then uh, we've got those talks set up with the three guys from the NFC North teams and uh, we'll, we, we we're, we're plugging right along as June fades into November uh, into into uh, into July I don't know what the hell I was thinking there just saying this as June fades into November yeah that's interesting anyway 
as June fades into July, uh, July fades into training camp and into August and into the promised land that is September and the regular season. Uh, we are, are moving right along here on the Chicago Bears Review. So we will be back uh, later in this in the week, probably on, on Monday, actually, is when, when Lori's episode with the AFC West and the Broncos uh, comes out, and then we'll be plugging right along with the NFC North guys uh, after that. So come back on Monday to hear my talk with Lori Lattimore-Volkman about the Broncos and the AFC West. And until then, my name is Larry D., and this has been the Chicago Bears Review. <laughs>